I want you guys to settle a debate in your heart this morning. Some debates you just have to settle before you die. There's lots of debates of the heart. One of the greatest debates is what is the meta-narrative? This meta-narrative that we talked about last week. Who created all this? Who put it into motion? You gotta settle that debate in your heart before you die, right? Who is God? What is God? What is the makeup of God? Here's another debate of the heart that you have to settle before you die. Religion or relationship? Okay, religion or relationship? And we beat this drum all the time, and you may think, man, I'm tired of you beating that drum. But the reason that we beat this drum is because Jesus wakes up in the New Testament almost daily and just starts beating that drum. He's calling folks names. He's pulling out a, uh, he's making a whip out of cords that we're going to talk about. He's whipping tables. Dude is obsessed with religion versus relationship. And so I want to be obsessed with religion versus relationship. And for me, I want you to settle this debate in your heart. Is it religion or is it relationship? Like, is it tradition, a set of rules and traditions that really sit on top of your framework for God? Or is it a deep and personal relationship with Jesus that sits over top? Now, now don't let yourself just get off the hook here because you're going to have to figure out, okay, when there's a hole here, when I don't know what is going on with my life and I want to talk to God or I want to talk about God or I want to respond to God, what do you do? Do you just pick a do and don't? Do you set up a structure for yourself and you're like, okay, I need to read my Bible five times this week, five times this week, and that's how I know God loves me. What do you do? Is it religion or is it relationship? Or do you press in to God? Today, I hope God settles that debate in our heart. I'm, I'm going to pray uh, because we, we have a, a, a hope, hopefully a deep message. Like I erased this message like four times, uh, and so I need, I need God to help us. Now, I filled it in later on, but I erased it over and over again. Let's, let's pray. God, will you settle this debate in our heart this morning? Will you reach into the deepest parts of who we are and settle this debate? Because I know that a lot of us, our go-to, our trigger, is religion. We just create more traditions, more structures, more things that make us feel comfortable. So I pray that you would settle this debate in our heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Sammy, can you shut those doors for me? Thanks, man. You were up. I'm sorry. I, I'm just like making a lot of commands on the people today. I just, I feel bad. I'm sorry. Um, all right. Hey, I got this dear friend in Michigan. Uh, he, he was in prison for years, <coughs> excuse me, for uh, dealing drugs and armed robbery. So he should have been in prison for sure. But while he was in prison, he gave his life to Jesus. Uh, and it was so beautiful. His life had really changed he gets out of prison. The one thing he wants to do is go see his family. The second thing he wants to go do is go to church. So beautiful, so amazing. He's like, I just want to see my family and go to church and, and find Jesus all over again in freedom. Like, I got freedom on the inside. Now I want freedom on the outside. I want to go to church. So he, he finds the closest church, and he goes to this church, and things are going okay. They greet him, but then they get to shaking hands time, which is really a nightmare for, like, most of us, right? You're like, please don't do the thing where you shake hands, and I got to find a stranger. I don't even like people that much. I just want to figure out how to go to church by myself, right? That's, this is what goes on. And so he goes to shake people's hands. He's like, up top, anybody? And nobody hits him. Nobody's hitting him. He's like, down low, too slow, anything. Just give me something from somebody somewhere. 
Right? So he's, he's just reaching out. So the, 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 the preacher starts to preach, and he starts to think to himself, I really want to listen to this message, but my heart is tired because I just came to church. I was so excited to come to church, and nobody's paying attention to me. No one even cares that I'm here. Now, he's dressed like a dude out of prison recently, right? You got tats all over the place. You've got a little face tat, all right? He's, people, and, and people are just ignoring him, maybe because of that. But some dude comes up to him afterward. And he's like, hey, how you doing? He's like, oh, thank you. Someone, someone cares about who I am and how I got here. So he explains his life. They exchange, you know, niceties. Uh, and then the dude says to him, you can come back next week if you dress differently. My friend thought to himself, huh, okay. So you can come back next week if you dress differently, but don't come back because we here dress unto the Lord and we wear our Sunday best. Maybe some of you have heard this before. Now, this created all sorts of questions in my friend's heart. Does God care about what I wear? Does God care about what I look like? Does God care how I approach his throne or how I come into his presence? And this is a wrestle that he has. Now, you know the end of the story. He did not go back to that church. He came to our church where we welcomed him and all of his tattoos, even the face tat, praise the Lord, right? But this creates questions of the heart, doesn't it? Like, like what does God care about. And this is not an indictment on those who dress in their Sunday best. I know there's full cultures that dress in their Sunday best. There's nothing wrong with that. Here's what this is an indictment on. Us creating contracts for God and then signing his name at the bottom. Isn't this what we do? We create religious and cultural contracts where we say this is what you have to do to be accepted in the presence of God or, 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 or with his family or in his community and then we sign God's name at the bottom. This is what we do with our, with our church, with our culture. Like nowhere in the New Testament, let me just drop this line, nowhere in the New Testament as soon as church hits. Like most of the Bible, there is no church. I don't know if you know that. It's a temple. It's a different culture. It's a, di a different set of rules in society. But once churches are planted, Jesus has resurrected from the dead, and churches are planted all over the world. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say you need to dress a certain way. Matter of fact, I could make an argument that in James is our, our only argument about what you wear, and it's that I don't want you to approach people, or I don't want you to not approach people, or not accept people that are dressed Baptist bougie. So if there are people there dressed bougie, you know, they got their gator shoes on with the, with the pocket square. I'm not hating. It's just, if they're dressed Baptist bougie, I don't want you to show them favoritism. I want you to show everybody favoritism in light of who Jesus is. That's the only argument we have in the New Testament. But my friend gets out of jail. Goodness, he gets out of jail. He finds Jesus. There's freedom in his heart. He can't wait to go see Jesus, spend time with Jesus and God's people, and they tell him he can't be there because of what he's wearing. It's shocking. And it's what we do. It's what we've always done. We've always bumped religion and culture and our rules and our sets of cultural faux pas at the top of the list when it comes to our relation to God. And no longer does God sit on the throne, but our religion sits on the throne. Our rules, our traditions, they sit on the throne. Traditions aren't bad. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the only reason for a tradition is to get after a deeper relationship with that person you have a tradition with. Like, think about the person that you have traditions with. Like, me and my bestie, we go out and we get mimosas every Tuesday. And that's great. But what's the tradition about? The tradition's about that relationship. It's just to facilitate better relationship. If you and your bestie don't get 
mimosas every Tuesday at 10, does the relationship fall apart? So traditions aren't bad. But they do sometimes harm us. Religion sometimes harms us in our, in our exploits, our, our hopes for a decent and deeper relationship with Jesus. Uh, let's go to Mark 7.1 as God continues to try to settle this debate in our heart about religion versus relationship. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, I'll give you a second turn there. Mark 7.1, Mark 7.1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, two saw, excuse me, verse 2, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That means they didn't wash, okay? They're, that is unwashed. So our stuffy friends, our stuffy Pharisees, uh, they're the religious leaders, they come down from Jerusalem. Did y'all catch that? So this is like the centrality of Judaism. It's like where the headquarters is. It's like where the main Google is when it comes to religion. Okay, these CEOs come down from their ivory tower. They're all dressed up. They just had a board meeting, and they're like, yo, this Jesus characters, his disciples, they're not even washing their hands. And let's, so let's, let's come down from Jerusalem and let's talk to Jesus about them. You, you read it, not washing their hands before Dindin. This is what's going on here. So Mark is going to break down what's going on here, why they do that. Verse 3, for the Pharisees and all the Jews who uh, do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. That's important, tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Okay? Let me just explain that real quick, the tradition of the elders. This is not an uh, unwritten set of rules and regulations. This is a written, unscriptural law based on two important reasons, okay? One is they wanted to bring holiness home. That's not a bad motive. So the elders are like, God gave us a bunch of rules, uh, the, the, the Pharisees, religious leaders, God gave us a bunch of rules for the temple, we want to bring it home. And also the other motive, not, again, not a bad motive, is God has been a little bit silent on some of these topics, and so let's fill in the gaps with our own rules and regulations. That's, that's what the tradition of the elders is for. We want to fill in these gaps, and we want to make sure that we're holy, not just in the church, but at home. We do this too. We do this with all sorts of things. What we watch, how we dress, all right, do we dance? Is it okay for Christians to dance? So we grew up in households? No. You can't dance. All right, Jesus just doesn't seem like the type of character that would do the Millie Rock. So I, I just, he doesn't look like he's fun. All right, so I lost some of y'all with the Millie Rock there. I had to look it up. I'm not gonna lie. Hey, hey, okay, all right, okay. I had to look it up. I'm like, what is this thing that I do at weddings? Uh, Jesus just doesn't look like the person, right? It is, and, and so the Bible's kind of silent on it. If we do dance, let's leave 12 inches for the Holy Spirit. Let's just make sure we don't have too much fun because we don't know what else to do. And so there's a little gap there. Let's fill it in with just don't do it. So your parents maybe passed that on to you because your parents were told, don't dance or you're in sin and Jesus is watching. And so you passed it down to your kids. Don't, don't dance or else you're, sin, you're sinning. You might go to hell. Jesus is watching. This is the crazy stuff we do. And then someone finally brings it up, don't they? They're like, well, there's dancing in the scriptures. And everybody's like, just shh. A second hesitation, four, two or something. There's somewhere in there, just shut it. and Just, just don't dance. It's not okay. That's what we do. We do it with all sorts of things. We fill in the gaps with our own ideas. Uh, we, we call them holiness gaps. We do it for safekeeping, for safe religion, 
and the Pharisees write the tradition of the elders for all those purposes. Now here's the thing about Jesus. He is the holiness gaps. <laughs> Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is in the board meeting with the Father and the Spirit. He knows what they care about. He knows what's on the whiteboard. And the washing of hands is not on the whiteboard. So Jesus is like, I don't care about this. If my disciples want to walk into dinner with dirty hands, they're probably dirty. I mean, they're walking around, you know, ancient. I mean, this is, this is they're dirty hands. If they want to go, that's fine. Because God, this is not on, on top of God's list. Verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah, Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Of you hypocrites. He starts name-calling. Jesus is next-level angry. Jesus is traffic on one and nine angry. Right? He's flipping tables angry. Y'all know that Jesus be flipping tables in the New Testament? This is, this is uh, I believe it's John 2.15. Yeah, John 2.15. Jesus, he, he does like some craft time, or goes to Home Depot, and he starts fastening together a whip out of cords. This is how mad he is. This is how angry he is. And then he starts whipping tables and flipping tables. He's flipping tables. Which, by the way, is a really satisfying Christian cuss word. If you ever just, you need something, right? Someone cuts you off in traffic, you're like, flipping tables. Like, it's all good, okay? It's okay. Jesus did it. Jesus said it. But Jesus is angry. He's flipping tables angry. He's upset. Why is he so upset? This is the anger of God coming out. When the anger of God is coming out, it's justified anger. I know that we're thinking, no, we can't be angry about anything. We should all hold hands. You can worship who you want and how you want. That's what my wellness instructor says, and we should just all use some lavender. No, Jesus gets upset. Jesus is ticked off. He's not okay. It's justified anger. He's God. He gets to define what anger should be about. There's an injustice. He's going to step into it. Why is he upset? And, 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 and John 2.15, well, he's upset because it's the house of God. And instead of using the house of God for prayer and love and teaching the Torah or the law, they're using it to peddle money. They're peddling doves. I mean, it looks like Fidei up in there. It looks like the floor on Wall Street. They're just... They're yelling, they're exchanging, they're bargaining, and God's like, this is what you turn my house into. My father's house is supposed to be for prayer. And so he's upset, and he's flipping tables, and he's whipping things. And here, he's upset again. You hypocrites. In other texts, he calls them, you brood of vipers. I don't, I don't know if that was a good diss, but it sounds good. You whitewashed tombs, he says. He's upset. Now, what is making him this upset? Nothing angers a father more than when you deceive his kids. Religion is deceptive. Religion can be very deceptive. Traditions and religious culture, they can be very deceptive. Here, because his kids are being deceived, he gets really upset. This is what he does. He exposes their character this people, this is so important. We're going to read it three times. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain. I, he said, I don't even want you to worship me. This is crazy. 
In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. God says, what's the point? Don't even worship me. Don't even serve me. Don't do that thing. Don't make that sacrifice. What's the point? Because your heart is miles from me. And yet you're teaching people how to follow me. And you're teaching them all the wrong ways to follow me. You're deceiving my children. I, I know how this feels. Like, if you talk to my wife, she'll tell you, I have a lot of grace for people. I, I, might, I might not seem like a grace-filled man uh, because you see me on Sundays where I yell all sorts of things. But I, I got grace for all sorts of people. My wife will be like, how do you forgive them? And I just, it's part of the requirement of a pastor just to forgive folks for no reason. So, so I just be forgiving people. That's just, that's just how it goes. But if you mess with my kids, good night. Fathers, fathers feel this, you feel this in your gut. You mess with my wife. Like, I'm no longer sizing you up because I don't care what size you are. I'll catch a case, I'll lose a job. It does not matter. Like, I feel it in my gut when people mess with my kids. The other day, someone came around the corner. They came around the corner, missed a stop sign. I almost beat down their tire. Like, I'm yelling at it. It's just some, some nice lady. She just missed a stop sign. What are you doing? Like, it comes up in me, and I can't even control it. I feel like a Hulk disease or something. It's running through my veins because you mess with my kids, and it just, it just feels like, it feels different. It's in my gut. I, I feel like this might be in the gut of God here. Like, it's, it's okay to mess up. This is a gospel of grace, but you mess with my kids, you lead my kids astray with this religion stuff, you come down from your ivory tower talking about you need to wash your hands. What are we doing here? He gets New York, he gets Jersey, he starts whipping, th like he's just mad. Here's the problem once again, and, and the scripture is already up there, I believe. This people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the, commands, the commandments of men. Let me ask you this. This is the most important question I'll ask you today. Please, please listen in. Is your framework for God, when you think about God, when you think about the meta narrative, when you think about how all this is going in your life, is your framework for God about washing your hands or is it about God washing your heart? And that may seem kind of metaphorical and kind of big, but just let me ask you that again. Is your framework for God always about washing your hands, doing the next thing, or not doing the next thing? Running through your catalog of religion, God told me to do 550 things, he told me not to do 550 things. Is that what your life with Jesus is? A washing of the hands, or is it of God washing your heart? See, God here is not just upset because... He's deceived, they're deceiving his kids. He's upset because he's a God of the heart, chasing after your heart. And not only that, but he's the only God who cares about your heart. This is the only gospel that is focused on a relationship of the heart. Think about any and every religion, every false God out there. It's the same thing. It's religion, it's rules, it's 
this God wants you to not do these 550 things, and this God wants you to do these 550 things, and that's how you get into favor with God, and that's how you go to heaven. Even people who don't have a framework for God, you ask them, and you're like, hey, who do you think God is? They're like, well, I was hoping to not have to make that decision before I died. I was hoping to just kind of go through earth and just not believe in God at all or make that decision about God. You're like, but what, what if I pressed you? Here's what they would say. If you're good, you go to heaven. That's what they would say. And what does good mean? Good means you do these 550 things and you don't do these 550 things. So God is upset because he, he, they're, they're ruining the one thing. Like if God wanted to pass you a note, if he's like, I'm going to spend eternity passing them a note, the note would say, excuse me, that's how passionate I am. The note would say, I want to be in relationship with my kids. I care about their heart. That's what, and, and religion is ruining that one note. That's why he's upset. So let me ask you again. Is your framework for God about washing your hands or is it about God washing your heart? That's kind of our, I don't know, top of One World Trade Center observation deck view. Um, let's get into the nitty, okay? Let's get into the gritty together. Um, I'm going to pray one more time because I just I feel like this is about to get heavy, and I hope it does. God, I, 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 I never pray twice in a message, but I just want you to be here. I want you to walk us through the nitty gritty because I, I feel like we, we could dodge this. As a people, we could dodge the fact that you're after our heart. We could buy into religion. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Let's go back one more time. Same, same scripture. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching, this is important, as doctrines, the commandments of men. Now, why are they doing this? Why are they teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men? Because religion is safe. It feels safe. It feels clear. Like some of you guys are just rule followers. You know, you, you can, you're a really good employee because your boss is like, do A, B, and C, and you're like, nailed it, better than everybody else. But if they don't give you a framework, you're lost. You're like, please tell me what to do. And religion for you is super safe. Tells you exactly what to do and what not to do. Wash your hands. Don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. These are the do's, these are the don'ts, that's it. Religion is super safe, it's super clear, and so that's what these men do. They make up the commandments of men to be doctrine. Meaning, some dude, some dudes sitting in a circle going, these should be the commandments, let's sign the name of God at the bottom. Let's write up a contract and let's have Jesus sign it, let's have God sign it, and that's what we do. And so here's my first question. And, and before I do, do that, anybody else, anybody else forged their, their parents' signature in high school? Come on now, yeah, yeah, you with me, yeah. Third grade. <laughs> Sarah said third grade. Yo, we got to pray for Sarah after the message. Sarah was sinning early. She's forging signatures early. Good night. I got to hear that story afterward. So in high school, I remember my mom, my mom would, would sign checks. And so I knew that she would sign checks at a certain time in the kitchen, and so I would go down there and I would watch her signature, right? And I'm gathering, okay, she, big deal, okay, yep, and okay. You know, and she was in nursing, so she had that, that doctor signature type deal. And so I would copy it, I would go up to my room and I would copy it over and over again. And I would use it to get out of class, right? It's a doctor's note, I signed her name at the bottom, bam, killed it, right? Now. Did my mom have anything to do with that contract that I presented to my teacher? No. 
Does my mother have a right to be upset? Right? That she gets a call and the call is like, has your son got his tonsils out three times this year? You know? Feels like a lot. You know? Does she have a right to be upset? Of course. And this is what they're doing with the tradition of the elders. And this is what we do. So here's my question. Are you following or making up laws and signing God's name to it? Like, is that your, com- is that your comfort zone? Instead of pressing into the word of God, figuring out the context, figuring out what really God cares about, are you just following or making up laws that, that you were given when you were younger or that make you feel comfortable? And then are you signing God's name to it? Like some of us had these laws in our household. Uh, if you grew up in a religious household, uh, some of you guys will, will think these are a little bit funny. Some of you will be like, this is bringing up huge woundings in my heart. Like I, ha- I had a dude, he-, he couldn't have a mohawk. Like these little faux hawks were hot at some point. Uh, I don't remember what years. Uh, but he couldn't have it. Why? His mom said they were the symbol of Satan. Like, I don't know, like it was like the dragon or something like that. I, don't, I forget what the thing was. I'm like, what? What? My parents told me, and I didn't have much of this. My parents were not, you know, they were very, they were in tune to a relationship with God. But they, I couldn't watch The Simpsons, right? Most of us couldn't watch The Simpsons. We didn't know why. I couldn't watch The Simpsons, but I could watch MTV, which, <laughs> which was, you know, because those music videos left a lot to the imagination, right? So here I am not watching The Simpsons. Like some of you can think about these household rules, and, and after everything that was said, what? Jesus is watching. So his signature's at the bottom. Can't have a mohawk, Jesus is watching. Can't get a tattoo, Jesus is watching. Can't watch Simpsons, Jesus is watching, right? Literally, I had a dude, a friend, he couldn't use mouse spray. Remember this stuff? It was like cinnamon, you go, and then you try to kiss a girl. That was it. He couldn't use it. Why? Because his mom said it had alcohol in it. Like, it had to have maybe 0.0002% alcohol, just like any mouthwash does. But he couldn't use it because Jesus was watching. We're like, here, man, you want to spray? I don't know what, what age we're at at this point. He's like, no, man, Jesus is watching. We're like, what? This is what we, and, and some of this is funny, but some of it goes super deep for you. Like you had 45 made-up laws, and you're like, why am I following these things? And then you didn't know how to respond to this, right? Because what these laws do is they create a guilt wall instead of a grace filter. Today, today I want to talk about a guilt wall versus a grace filter. The scriptures, the New Testament, will tell you that everything needs to be run through a grace filter. That grace filter means Jesus died for you, he died for all of your sins. And every time you sin, you can bring that to Jesus and be forgiven. And that kindness and that love and that ocean of grace leads you toward more repentance. In that exact order. And you make decisions based on some of these holes. You make decisions in relationship through a grace filter. God guiding you through wisdom and giving you the Holy Spirit. That's a grace filter. But we tend to put up a grace wall. Okay? Let me tell you what a grace wall looks like. Let's talk about alcohol for a minute. There's a little bit of a hole on alcohol, sort of. I mean, if you do some really good scripture reading, I don't think there's really a hole at all. Right? But we think, maybe let's just go back to someone who's really not thinking too much about this. Ephesians 5 says, do not get drunk on wine, for that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're not supposed to be drunk, but someone can say, hey, but Jesus turns water into wine. Right? So I don't really know what to do. So what do I do here because I don't really know what to do? Don't do it. 
And if you do do it, you're going to hell. Right? So, some, for some of you, that sounds crazy, but for others of you, you grew up in that household. You went to that church. That church literally said, it's a sin, Jesus is watching, you're going to hell. So how did you respond to that guilt wall? As you're trying to climb the guilt wall, here's how you responded. You either didn't do it, and therefore you judged everybody else because you have no grace in your heart, and nobody wants to hang out with you. you got two friends, and they're the two friends that will deal with you because you're Captain McJudgy Pants, who won't have a beer, okay? Or you did it in secret. And after every secret sin, after every secret sin, you couldn't go to Jesus. You just felt shame and guilt. You couldn't go to your church community. And who knows, maybe it built up this secret sin inside of you. You're not just drinking one, but you're taking back six at a time. My, my, my grandparents, they died with that, with that secret. My grandfather died with that secret. We would have all accepted him. But because he grew up in this legalistic culture, we didn't know he was doing this every night and it was killing him. How about you? Is, is there something like that? That you just built a guilt wall? We do it with tattoos. With trends. My, my, my wife was condemned once at a youth retreat. She was 16 or 17. She had some color in her hair. And some elder guy comes up and he misquotes the Bible about, oh, there's a covering of your hair and you're doing this. And, and she just lost in that. She's like, uh, so God is mad at me? Because I, I didn't even know this was wrong. But God hates me because I colored my hair. This is what we do. We build a guilt wall. Um, and we do this with what you watch, uh, what kind of band you listen to, politics, the translation of Bible that you have, sexuality. Like instead of talking about sex in the right environment, in front of Jesus, in a grace culture, we hide everything. And we wonder why the pornography numbers are sky high. The divorce numbers are sky high. Because we can't talk about it in the church. Guilt wall. Movies, all of it. We built a guilt wall. I want to talk about this grace filter that God calls us to. And I want to put it in the right context. And the right context, I believe, is this religious ninja slapping passage in Romans 14. So we got some ninja slapping, we got some table flipping. It's just, I'm feeling froggy today. Anybody else feeling froggy? It's just, it's just going well, okay? Let's, let's read Romans 14. I can't do Romans 14 justice today. Go home and do Romans 14 justice. Spend an hour in Romans 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, immature, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now he's going to go into all these things that people do and don't do and why they don't do them or why they do do them. Okay? One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now that may not make sense in context, but in context... They're talking about religious foods. Eating meat, not eating meat. Eating certain foods, not eating, eating certain foods. And what's he say? Some people only eat this, and some people don't do eat this. Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let it rock. This can go for drinking, too. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Oof. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Let it rock. 
you're wondering what happens when it comes to anybody else. Nunya. That's what I tell my kids all the time. Daddy, what's in your glass? Nunya. Nunya what? Business. This is what God is saying to us. Nunya. Stop judging people for what they're eating and they're drinking. They're, they're having a little bit of wine. They're eating a little bit of meat. Not your business. Get off of it. Because this is a grace culture. This is a grace filter that we're living in. Look, verse 6, verse 6. The one who observes the day, it's a religious day, probably religious festivals, observe it, observes it in honor to the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, come on, it's in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Whatever you do, it's unto Jesus. So good. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For we live, we live to the Lord and we die, we die to the Lord. God is a God of the heart. God is a God of freedom. God is a God of, a God of grace. And he is going to teach you balance on every single topic. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You have a grace filter. He's going to walk you through it in relationship. You can take any and every topic that God is somewhat silent on, and you can pass it through a prayer-filled, wisdom-filled relationship with God, grace filter, and make a decision. What you don't want to do is live with the burden of religion, judging yourself and judging everybody around you. It's tiresome. It tires the pastor out. I'm so tired of religious folks. It tires you out. It tires your friends out. It tires your family out. Nobody wants to hear you judge anybody anymore. What they want to see you do is live in freedom and grace in Jesus and make a wisdom-filled, balanced decision. Alcohol is easy. Don't get drunk. Don't drink in front of alcoholics. Right? Drink with modesty and wisdom in front of non-alcoholics, right? Have a couple. If you're getting buzzed, stop having a couple. Just have one. Okay? This, this, this is so easy. But when you do it, do it unto the Lord in relationship with his grace. <laughs> Make that decision in relationship with his grace. Should you get a tattoo? Sure. Sure. I mean, that... that, that that Old Testament passage that we bring out of context, there's 40 other laws that surround it that we don't want to follow. So if you want to get a tattoo, sure, go for it. How do you want to dress? How do you want to dress? Knock yourself out. Now, should you be dressing where it's like, I feel scandalous. I feel like this, I'm showing too much of myself. No. But this is made in, in this decision is made in relationship to the grace of God. He'll walk you through it. And if you feel too scandalous, you feel like you're showing too much of yourself when you walk out the door, cover yourself up a little bit more. It's not worth it. Should I watch that TV show? I don't know. Knock yourself out. But is there a bunch of nakedness up in that thing? Is there a bunch of bad content up in that thing that makes you think the wrong things about, about yourself, about other people? Is it leaving an imprint on your soul? Then probably not, right? I mean, we, we also do this other thing where we're like, yeah, okay, I see a bunch of naked people, but I'm not lusting after them. Okay, then what are you doing? Come on, make a wisdom-filled, grace-filled, in-relationship decision about what you see, about what you watch, about what you wear, about what tattoo you get, about whatever. Make a decision in relationship with Jesus, with his grace covering you, and he'll walk you through, filled with the Holy Spirit, on what a smart decision is. Now, that's tension-filled, right? That means you got to pray. That means you got to be quiet. That means you got to journal. That means you got to read the scriptures. 
That means you've got to read the scriptures in context. This is hard work, but it's relationship. And every single relationship that is worth it is hard work. What's harder work is picking up the pieces of your life after religion has left it in shambles. Picking up the pieces of your heart, which is clouded with shame and anxiety and brokenness, and you have no savior to turn to because you've been living in religion for too long. Um, let's, let's go on to the next question. Do you pick and choose your religious ways? Religion is picky and choosy. I don't know if you know this. Religion is picky and choosy. So, <laughs> excuse me, the, the Pharisees here, they're picky and choosy because there are some Pharisees, actually the Essenes, are the people who wash their whole body before dinner. But the Pharisees decided, I'm just going to wash my hands before dinner. So there are some sects that decide, no, we need to wash our whole body to be cleansed before the Lord. So literally, they're calling their kids to dinner, like, dinner's ready. And the kids are like, oh, shoot. You know, because they got to take a whole shower. This is exhausting religion, right? But some of the Pharisees are like, that's too much. Let's just wash our hands. Religion is picky and choosy. And you do it too, right? Uh, I don't say the SH word. I say shiitake mushrooms. Great. Good for you. And you act like you got some sort of halo on and some wings. I don't get drunk. I day drink and get buzzed. You know, it's like, okay, relax. Religion is picky and choosy, and it's a false floor. And it leaves out the hard work of relationship, discernment, wisdom, filling of the Holy Spirit, studying the scriptures, and being quiet. Are you picky and choosy? I got this... Um, I got this homeless guy who sits out in front of Dulce de Leche. Y'all know about Dulce de Leche on Central? A, A, Argentinian, all right? Um, it's fantastic, okay, this place. And so I work there all the time. My whole life is in coffee shops. This guy's always wearing a, a, an Ohio State ver, uh, jersey. We always talk about it. He doesn't really care about Ohio State. Um, and I noticed something about him. He stands outside of Dulce de Leche. Now, if you know about Central Ave, every restaurant on the planet is on Central Ave. He doesn't stand outside of McDonald's or Burger King or even Wonder Bagel. He stands outside of the most bougie, good-tasting Dulce de Leche restaurant on the block. I think it's so good, right? Because here's what he knows. If I stand out front of here, here's what I'm eating. Because he's not that guy... I, I, when I, when I want to buy him food, he wants that, that's, I, buy, I buy him food. He's not trying to steal my money to go buy drugs. He wants a sandwich. So he knows if I stand out in front of this store, I'm getting the good eats. Smart. It's brilliant. Are you camping out in front of religion or are you camping out in front of relationship? you got to figure this out. What are you camping out in front of? Because camping out in front of relationship looks like, again, getting yourself in missional communities, getting yourself some accountability, getting yourself a, a prayer life, getting yourself a journaling life. All these things mean I'm camping out outside of relationship. I'm, I turn to Jesus when stuff goes down. If you turn to traditions, rules, judgment, you're camping outside of religion. So here's what I want to do at the end of the day. We're going to take communion. If I can have the lovely couple here. Can you guys grab 
uh, some, it's not wine, it's grape juice, and some crackers, and stand at these two aisles. We're going to take communion today. I know their names. I don't know why I just said it like this lovely couple here. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> this is a tradition in relationship with Jesus. I want to I redeem tradition. This is why we do tradition. It's to remember the body and the blood of Jesus. It's to repent. It's to be in relationship with Jesus. It's to remember who Jesus is. Not all tradition is bad. But let's redeem it today. We're going to redeem it pretty slowly. So while he plays these first few choruses and first few chords or whatever they're called, I'm not a musician, come forward and, and get the elements and, and sit back down. And we'll get right back with you, okay? Would you guys do me a favor and close your eyes? Let's learn how to do tradition in relationship. Communion is about remembrance and repentance. So because Jesus is so good, they decided he loved us so much, he was beaten for us. That's what this cracker represents, his body. Would you just picture it? Would you picture your Savior on a cross? No one to bandage his wounds. No one to comfort him. Just people yelling at him. Just people screaming at him. Weapon after, after weapon, nail after nail. That's your Savior on the cross. Would you picture his blood? Picture his blood poured out for every single one of your sins. The cleansing agent. The blood that washes us white as snow. See, this is a tradition that leads us to relationship because you can picture that. And now here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about your sin. Don't think about anybody else's sin in here. Just think about your sin. What have you been up to? What have you been doing? Just grab onto it. Think of it in your mind. And now what I want you to do, I'm going to have, I'm going to have 30 seconds of silence. I want you to give it to Jesus. Thank Jesus that he died for that sin, that he died for that brokenness. Go ahead, 30 seconds. When you're ready, you can take the elements. Take the body and take the blood. We're going to sing some songs. I want you to stand when you're ready. Stand when you're ready. Talk to Jesus. Talk to Jesus in relationship about who he is and about who you are. This is, this is why we do tradition, just for the sake of relationship. Because it leads us to talk to him, remember him, think about him, love him. And let him love over us. So Jesus, we commit ourselves to you. We commit this moment to you in relationship, swimming in grace through your grace filter. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand when you're ready. Worship when you're ready.